decades after he terrified citizens with his shocking crimes and bizarre letters, the Zodiac is known as one of the most enigmatic serial killers in modern history. His motives are unknown, although many people have offered various theories to explain his behavior. Attempts to create a psychological profile rely on speculation based on our knowledge of other killers, and experts struggle to comprehend the mind of the Zodiac. This is the Zodiac speaking. I like killing people because it is so much fun. A man in a mask robbed, tied, and stabbed them, leaving them for dead. Police say robbery wasn't the motive. He is probably a psychopath. This guy is a pathological uh, psycho uh, killer. He is described as an uh, insane person, and I don't go along with this. I think that this man is legally sane. If I do not see this note in your paper, I will do something nasty, which you know I'm capable of doing. The psychology and personality of the Zodiac Killer have been the subject of speculation and debate for decades. Profilers, psychologists, and armchair detectives have weighed in with various theories regarding the killer's mind and motives. The popular portrait painted the Zodiac as a loner who was incapable of holding a steady job or maintaining any meaningful relationships with women. The same portrait was offered by experts who described the personality of other notorious serial killers, such as the Green River Killer and the BTK Strangler. Like the Zodiac, both the Green River Killer and the BTK Strangler had killed and then disappeared for decades. BTK also telephoned authorities to report a murder, and he sent several communications during his criminal career. Some experts believe that these killers were also loners who were incapable of maintaining regular employment or relationships with members of the opposite sex. FBI profilers and criminal profiling have become a part of pop culture. Many people who watch popular television shows have come to believe that profiling is an exact science, which can and does identify a specific type of individual as the perpetrator of a particular crime. However, history has proven that criminal profiling is sometimes largely guesswork, and the profiles are only as good as the profilers. An experienced profiler can examine the evidence and create a perfectly logical profile based on facts, only to discover that the profile was completely wrong once the real perpetrator was identified. After many years of hunting the BTK Strangler, Wichita detectives turned to the experts and profilers for help. 
Some investigators believe that BTK was responsible for the murder of a young woman, while others were absolutely convinced that the elusive killer was not involved in that crime. The experts examined the cases and concluded that BTK was definitely not responsible for the woman's murder. Then, in 2004, BTK resurfaced and sent his first communication in 25 years. The killer's package contained photographs he had taken during the murder of the young woman in question, thereby refuting the conclusions of the experts. BTK was subsequently identified as Dennis Rader, a 59-year-old animal control worker. Rader again defied the experts. He was married, fathered children, maintained a steady job, and served as the president of his church. When authorities finally identified the Green River Killer as Gary Ridgway, he did not match the criminal profile created by some experts. Conventional wisdom from detectives, psychologists, and even the man on the street was that the Zodiac was a crazed loner, incapable of holding a job or forming a normal relationship with a woman, and most likely a sexual deviant and a sadist. Police checked on the usual suspects, including child molesters, peeping toms, flashers, and the mentally ill. Napa County Sheriff's Captain Donald Townsend told reporters. Being so close to their area and feeling that it might come over in our area, we of course have been working very closely with Vallejo in checking state hospital patients and former patients because this guy is a pathological uh, psycho uh, killer. There's no doubt about it. The killer's first messages established his desire to demonstrate his power by demanding that his cipher be published in newspapers and threatening to kill a dozen people if anyone refused. He referred to himself as the murderer and provided information about the crimes. Dear editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo. To prove I killed them, I shall state some facts which only I and the police know. Christmas. Brand name of ammo, Super X. Ten shots were fired. The boy was on his back with his feet to the car. The girl was on her right side, feet to the west. Fourth July. Girl was wearing patterned slacks. The boy was also shot in the knee. Brand name of ammo was Western. Over. Here is part of a cipher. The other two parts of this cipher are being mailed to the editors of the Vallejo Times and SF Examiner. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. In this cipher is my identity. If you do not print this cipher by the afternoon of Fry, 1st of Aug, 69, 
I will go on a kill rampage fry night. I will cruise around all weekend, killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. After the cipher was published, Donald Harden and his wife, Betty, spent hours examining the symbols and developed a strategy to decipher the hidden message. We felt that the word kill or killing would appear in his code and the word I because he he had an ego. The Hardens' attempt at pop psychology proved to be a stroke of genius and the killer's fascination with death proved to be the key to unlocking the code that had left experts baffled. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and all the people I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. The Zodiac sent a second cipher, which was not solved until December 2020. In the deciphered text, the killer returned to the same theme. I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show. Which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner. Because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life will be an easy one in paradise death. The fantasy about victims serving as slaves in his afterlife could indicate that the Zodiac was out of touch with reality and engaged in magical thinking. But the possibility existed that he may have been trying to mislead authorities about his true mental state by portraying himself as a delusional killer. The many misspellings in the killer's letters along with his childlike writing, led many to conclude that the Zodiac was uneducated and of low intelligence. Publication of a letter to the Vallejo Times-Herald, which referred to his murders as good times, reinforced the belief that the murderer was a maniac. His advice to authorities to cheer up was a taunting reminder that he was in control. After the attack at Lake Berryessa, victim Brian Hartnell recovered from his wounds and described his impression of the Zodiac. This this came out since then, but he told me at the time that he had killed a guard getting out of prison. And so I did take him as a killer. To me, a killer isn't a normal person, so I assumed at the time that something was wrong, but as far as a psychopath or other aberration, I really didn't realize at the moment 
I wasn't concerned because I was cooperating with him and I expected that he would cooperate with me. And I tried to be as accommodating under the circumstances as possible to save the girl, you know, any harm. He just impressed me as being rather low class. The reason was because of his clothes, you know. The San Francisco Police Department joined the hunt for the Zodiac after the murder of cab driver Paul Stein in the upscale residential neighborhood of Presidio Heights on October 11, 1969. This is the Zodiac speaking. I am the murderer of the taxi driver over by Washington Street and Maple Street last night. To prove this, here is a blood-stained piece of his shirt. I am the same man who did in the people in the North Bay area. The SF police could have caught me last night if they had searched the park properly instead of holding road races with their motorcycles, seeing who could make the most noise. The car drivers should have just parked their cars and sat there quietly waiting for me to come out of cover. School children make nice targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning. Just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out. Police Captain Martin Lee offered his own thoughts about the killer. First of all, he is uh, described in, in all the media as a, an uh, insane person, a screwball and all of this sort of thing. And I don't go along with this. I think, and I have studied all of the letters, I think that this man is legally sane. We all know the difference. Legal sanity, of course, being a knowledge of the difference between right and wrong, and also um, a knowledge that what one has done is forbidden and therefore taking the action of fleeing from the police. This man has certainly exhibited that much um, intelligence or rationality. This man is a uh, a psychopath with uh, very, very seriously mentally deranged. Uh, he appears to have no conscience at all, no remorse after any of the acts, certainly no reason or even alleged justification for anything that he does. Um, several of the shootings have occurred without a single word to anybody, just merely to walk up and, and start shooting. This man is a, a serious problem to us. He's a very, very sick and very dangerous person. In his violent movements, or rather the violent, violent periods that he has been in, uh, he's an absolutely ruthless, completely merciless killer. He calmly goes about his business of, uh, in one case, telephoning the police, and another tearing a strip off the, off the shirt of the dead body of the immediately killed victim. Um, he doesn't get great excitement over it. He's, he just uh, he thinks killing is, is just killing. So somebody like that is going to be a very serious problem for us. During the original Zodiac investigation, Detectives sought the advice of a psychiatrist at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. After examining the writings of the Zodiac, the psychiatrist concluded, 
He is probably a guy who broods about cut-off feelings, about being cut off from his fellow man. Vallejo Police Captain Wade Bird speculated, I think he'll prove to be a genius who got so far out, he went over the edge. I don't believe a man this disturbed could hold down a steady, regular job. He's too far gone for that. Dr. Lawrence Z. Friedman was the chairman of the Institute of Social and Behavioral Pathology at the University of Chicago. He studied the Zodiac's words and actions in order to understand the mind of the murderer. Friedman offered his own theory about why the Zodiac committed his crimes. Because he is overwhelmed with terror, he spreads terror because he leads a terror-dominated life. And he insists on his power because he feels powerless. He will be caught because he wants to get caught. Friedman said that the killer's behavior indicated he was most likely insane and suicidal. In his suicide, he will be expressing finally what his homicides have meant to him. To those who gave him being but denied him affection or recognition, he is saying, however insanely, look at what you have done to me. Friedman believed that the killer specifically targeted couples because they represented the intimacy he could never experience. He has struck out in savage rage against those who seem to flaunt an intimacy that he craves with an intensity which only the fantasy of the deeply frustrated human being can imagine. Another psychological assessment of the killer's personality appeared in the San Francisco Examiner on October 21, 1969. The headline read, Zodiac's Graph, Impotent, Shrewd, and Paranoid. The accompanying article presented a portrait by William F. Baker, a handwriting expert armed with 35 years of experience and master's degrees in psychology and abnormal psychology. Baker offered his insights after what he called an exhaustive study of the Zodiac's writings. He feels suspended between heaven and hell, not sure of himself, and feels caught in a trap of merely existing. Baker explained how certain characteristics in the killer's writing revealed more about his state of mind. The strong slant to the left of the lower letters denotes a mother hostility and an unhappy childhood. Carry that trait further and you find the man who is afraid of women and hates them. Carry that to a further extreme and you have a man who is capable of killing women to get even with his mother. Like others before him, Baker speculated about the Zodiac's possible feelings of inadequacy and his psychosexual compulsions. The probability is that he is impotent and a watcher rather than a participant in sex. Baker said that the killer was most likely not a homosexual, but that he was unquestionably paranoid and possibly schizophrenic. Baker then contradicted the opinion of many others who believed that the Zodiac's childish scrawl and rampant misspellings were evidence that the writer 
was uneducated. Baker viewed the letters as proof that the killer was actually a shrewd and methodical planner attempting to mislead authorities. I would judge that he has a post-high school education, although it could be self-education. He is probably trying to steer people off. Baker also believed that the Zodiac had altered the style of his natural handwriting when producing the Zodiac letters. The writing is not natural to the writer. It is very contrived. When asked why the Zodiac had changed his tactics and threatened school children, Baker answered, Because the man is a coward and feels that children can't hurt him. Regarding the eternal question about the motive behind the killer's seemingly senseless violence, the expert offered a familiar and tragically simple answer. The Zodiac killed because he was a nobody. Yet his crimes and the resulting publicity made him feel as if he had become somebody. In 1974, letters sent to the San Francisco Chronicle indicated that the Zodiac had returned after three years of silence. The writer did not use the name Zodiac, but some handwriting experts concluded that the killer was responsible for these messages. The writer now acted as a media critic and offered a review of the popular horror film The Exorcist. I saw and think The Exorcist was the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. Signed, yours truly. The writer then quoted from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, The Mikado. He plunged himself into the billowy wave. And an echo arose from the suicide's grave. Tit willow, tit willow, tit willow. P.S. If I do not see this note in your paper, I will do something nasty, which you know I'm capable of doing. Me, 37, S.F.P.D. Zero. In another letter, the writer complained about the glorification of violence in advertisements for the film Badlands, based on the true story of spree killer Charles Starkweather. Editor, SF Chronicle, 5th and Mission, San Fran. Sirs, I would like to express my consternation concerning your poor taste and lack of sympathy for the public, as evidenced by your running of the ads for the movie Badlands, featuring the blurb, In 1959, most people were killing time. Kit and Holly were killing people. 
In light of recent events, this kind of murder glorification can only be deplorable at best. Not that glorification of violence was ever justifiable. Why don't you show some concern for public sensibilities and cut the ad? A citizen. In one letter, the Zodiac had used the phrase blue meanies to describe police, a possible reference to the animated film Yellow Submarine and the menacing and maniacal characters called blue meanies. If the 1974 letters were indeed written by the killer, the references indicated that the Zodiac had an interest in movies. According to some handwriting experts, the same writer also offered his own psychological assessment of conservative columnist Count Marco Spinelli. In June 1974, Count Marco's columns in the San Francisco Chronicle newspaper focused on a variety of topics, including women. On Wednesday, July 3rd, he wrote about his disdain for psychiatrists and psychologists, stating, You don't need psychiatry. All you need is the Count Marco column. The following columns on Thursday and Friday were titled, Is Being Called Sexy Degrading? and Swinging in Marriage. The next Monday, on July 8th, Count Marco's column was titled, Why Older Men Have Trouble in Bed. That same day, an anonymous critic sent a letter which read, Editor, put Marco back in the hellhole from whence it came. He has a serious psychological disorder, always needs to feel superior. I suggest you refer him to a shrink. Meanwhile, cancel the Count Marco column. Since the Count can write anonymously, so can I. The Red Phantom. Red with rage. The words were formed with long strokes, not at all similar to the writing of the Zodiac. Some handwriting experts believe that the Zodiac was responsible for the odd writing, but some investigators had their doubts about its authenticity. Count Marco's style and opinions earned him the praise of his followers, as well as the wrath of his critics. The Count's columns catered to women seeking to please the men in their lives, and Spinelli's advice seemed out of touch in the era of women's liberation. One column, titled Beauty and the Beast, instructed readers to take a bath with your husband, but warned women, step daintily in the bubble-filled tub because this is no time to bend over. If written by the killer, the 1974 message indicated that the Zodiac was not among Spinelli's fans and strongly disliked the Count for reasons unknown. Rumors spread that the Zodiac's unwanted attention made the columnist fear for his life and he reportedly fled the state of California. The name Red Phantom could have been a reference to a silent film with the same title, El Spectre Royo, or The Red Phantom. But another possible connection was even more fascinating. In 1962, Count Marco received an anonymous letter in response to one of his many columns about women. Dear Count Marco, instead of sneaking up on women like a red phantom with black paint, 
you should work openly and usefully to help this free and generous country, which feeds your nasty face. The note was signed from Chicago. Count Marco replied, Red Phantom, I'll have you know, I wear gold Chinese silk or gold Italian raw silk evening jackets, and I don't sneak. I go about town in them, openly, so you will be sure to see me. In fact, I'll be in Chicago on December 5th to give you a personal look at me, so be prepared. The anonymous author used the phrase Red Phantom in 1962, 12 years before the same name appeared in a suspected Zodiac letter in 1974. The 1962 letter was apparently lost to time, leaving no way to determine if the same person was responsible for both messages, or if the appearance of the same name was simply a coincidence. Some handwriting experts believe that the Zodiac was responsible for the 1974 letter, raising questions about the possibility that the killer may have been communicating with Count Marco more than a decade earlier. According to some theories, the Zodiac was a sexual sadist who derived pleasure from inflicting pain on his victims. In one letter, the Zodiac wrote about his desire to inflict pain and suffering on his victims, and he described various acts of abuse and torture. Yet the Zodiac crimes did not appear to include any elements of sadism. In the first attack, the killer shot one victim in the head at point-blank range, and then fired five shots into the back of a teenage girl as she tried to escape. In the second attack, the killer simply walked up to the car and shot the occupant sitting inside. In the third attack, the killer stabbed the male victim in the back and then stopped when the victim pretended to be dead. The killer stabbed the female victim and then walked away. In the fourth attack, the killer shot the victim in the head at point-blank range the killer undoubtedly enjoyed inflicting the wounds to his victims. But sadism would indicate that he experienced pleasure torturing his victims or inflicting wounds simply to cause increasing or prolonged pain. In the attacks attributed to the Zodiac, the killer inflicted wounds but made no effort to prolong or increase the suffering of his victims. He did not torture or mutilate the victims, and he had no physical contact with them beyond the actions necessary to carry out the shooting or stabbing at that time. The fact that all of the female victims died led to theories that the Zodiac hated women. In the first attack, the female victim ran away, apparently after the killer had shot her male companion once in the head at point-blank range. She was shot five times, indicating that the killer fired shots until she collapsed and fell to the ground. In the second attack, the male victim was sitting in the car between the gunman and the female victim. The killer did not make any apparent effort to inflict more wounds on the woman, and both victims were still breathing when help arrived. The male victim jumped into the back seat to avoid the bullets, leaving the female victim in the line of fire. In the third attack, 
The killer stabbed the male victim in the back until he thought the man was dead. The female victim fought back and was stabbed in the front and the back of her body until the killer stopped for reasons unknown. He may have believed that he had inflicted sufficient damage to cause death, but the female victim survived for two days before she died in the hospital. In these three attacks, the killer made no effort to ensure that the victims would die, and his actions did not indicate that the women were the primary targets. The Zodiac attacked young couples, causing some to speculate that he was angry because he could not experience intimacy or any significant relationship with a woman. The killer followed this pattern in the first three attacks, but then he killed a single male victim. This departure from the previous pattern indicated that the Zodiac may have selected the victims because they were easily accessible at isolated locations where the killer believed people could be found. The attacks occurred at locations known as Lover's Lane Spots and at a recreation area where a killer could reasonably expect to find potential victims. The last known victim was a cab driver, and the killer selected the location of the attack in a residential neighborhood. That choice once again reinforced the theory that the killer's primary concern was locating potential victims and that he therefore selected the locations first to maximize his chances of finding potential targets in areas with lower risk of interference or intrusions. No one knows how or why the Zodiac selected his victims, but the available evidence suggested that he may have contemplated killing victims who did not fit any previous pattern. Three girls reported that a man had been watching them at Lake Berryessa on the day of the Zodiac attack there on a young couple. A father and his little boy were at the lake that day, and they also reported that a man appeared to be watching them too. The unidentified man was considered a person of interest, but the possibility existed that he may have been the killer searching for potential victims. If the unidentified man was the killer, his actions indicated that he may have considered attacking the three girls. He may have decided that three victims would be too difficult to control. He may have contemplated attacking the father and young son, but decided not to take the risk. A father would most likely fight to protect his child. The Zodiac's behavior during the Lake Berryessa attack demonstrated that he invented a story about his situation and then lied about his intentions in order to prevent the victims from panicking and trying to escape. If he actually considered attacking the father and son or the three girls, his behavior once again indicated that his selection of victims was random and largely based on the circumstances and available options. The unidentified man at the lake may not have been the killer, and his actions would not reflect on the killer's state of mind or victim selection. San Francisco Homicide Inspector David Toski described the Zodiac as a man of average intelligence who led a solitary life. 
Toski said, I feel he probably has a menial job and is very lonely, not around many loved ones. I think he is alive. It's almost a gut feeling. But if he had been killed in an accident or committed suicide or been murdered, I believe someone would have gone into his room, and I think he could leave something for us to find. The inspector believed that the killer was, quote, in a period of remission, and that, perhaps during this period, he had no desire to kill. However, Toski also believed that the killer would have great difficulty resisting the urge to communicate with authorities. Toski said, He got pleasure by telling us about the murders. My guess is that he hasn't been killing. Ego is what forced him to kill and write letters, knowing the media would broadcast and print it. I'm counting on a slip of mind, where he feels after nine or ten years that he's safe and he'll write a boastful letter to a friend. Medical people and psychologists say it will come out. In the early 1990s, retired Vallejo detective George Boward contacted psychologist Larry Ancron of the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Unit in Quantico, Virginia. In 1971, Ancron was first informed of the investigation by San Francisco Police Inspector Bill Armstrong. The psychologist said that the Zodiac killings would probably still be continuing if the killer was not deceased or imprisoned. He believed that the killer gained as much pleasure from taunting police and reliving the crimes as he enjoyed the killings. He stated that most serial killers would keep souvenirs or trophies from these criminal acts, such as clothing or identification belonging to the victims, so they can keep these in a hidden place and relive the incident many times over. Dr. Ancron added that such killers would often store these trophies, along with journals and news clippings of the crimes, in ingenious hiding places within their residences, such as false walls or a hidden safe. Ancron also advised that it was possible that a serial killer might have a storage place at another location. Years later, Dennis Rader was identified as the BTK Strangler responsible for several murders in Kansas during the 1970s. Raider collected items belonging to his victims, including jewelry and identification. He also kept his secret writings and news clippings about the crimes, hidden in areas around his home and office. In 2001, violence expert Michael D. Kelleher and psychologist David Van Nuys offered a new portrait of the Zodiac in their book, This is the Zodiac Speaking, Into the Mind of a Serial Killer. The authors reached a controversial conclusion and claimed that the Zodiac suffered from multiple personality disorder. The producers of the 2007 movie Zodiac consulted Sharon Pagaling Hagen, a criminal profiler with the California Department of Justice, and her conclusions were included in a featurette with the DVD release of the director's cut of the film. She had examined the Zodiac case at various times throughout her career, studied the original police reports, and consulted with some of the original investigators. The profiler concluded that the Zodiac was not 
a sadist. She believed that the Zodiac letters indicated that building the Zodiac persona was more important to him than the act of killing. I think I have a clearer vision of the kind of person that we're actually looking for. I have changed my mind about what might possibly have happened to the Zodiac after he dropped out of sight in 1974. We're looking for someone who very much was capable of keeping a secret. I don't think that this individual is the type of person who needed to confide in another person. He was very much a loner. I think it's important to note that these crimes occurred on the weekends or on holidays. He was a weekend offender, and that shows us that he was employed Monday through Friday, and he was very busy during those days. He was not free to commit crimes. He was not free to hunt for victims. So he led a structured life Monday through Friday, and then on weekends, he seems to have been adrift. And I think he spent a great deal of time driving around and looking and hunting and fantasizing about what he was going to do when he got the opportunity. I think another important point here is that the time between crimes decreased significantly. If you look at the pattern, the first crime occurred on December 20th of 1968. The second crime occurred on July 4th 1969. The next crime, September 27th. So we're looking at a shorter period of time. The next crime on October 11th, only two weeks. And so again, this supports the likelihood that the Zodiac's confidence level is increasing very rapidly over the course of these 10 and a half months. And then he basically is done committing crimes and he shifts his focus and his energy into the communications. It's been our experience that offenders who hunt, who spend their time hunting, do not spend their time talking. When we have an offender who spends a lot of time talking, they are spending less time hunting. The analysis of his communications was the pivotal element in my changing my mind looking at the evolution of his communications, getting a better understanding of what his motivation was for the communications, and then his final communication, looking at that and realizing how much he changed and his sense of himself changed. He came to see himself as a citizen. That's what he called himself. He signed his final communication, a citizen, not to diminish the tragedy of these crimes or any series of violent crimes, but when you step back and you think about it, what was the purpose of the crimes? What was the emotional payoff for this offender? And really, I think it was to establish himself as being an important, newsworthy person. It was almost like a bizarre marketing technique. In fact, I think that that answers one of the primary controversies in this case. Why did he target three couples and then switch to a cab driver? How does that make sense? He wanted to be famous in San Francisco. That's what really, I think, necessitated his targeting of the cab driver. 
When he was committing his crimes, there were very few communications. It was after his murder of Paul Stein that he became very involved in communicating with the media, because at that point he had established himself as being important and newsworthy. And he very much enjoyed that. I also believe that it is quite possible that he dropped out of sight and changed his life and may still be alive, living a conventional lifestyle. This profile of the Zodiac indicated that the last letter sent in 1974 marked the end of the killer's alter ego and the end of the Zodiac persona in public. By signing the letter a citizen, the Zodiac had essentially rejoined society, satisfied with his criminal accomplishments and content that he had achieved the fame he craved. The search for answers about the killer's motives continues, but the mind of the Zodiac remains a mystery. Z. Written and produced by Michael Butterfield. Zodiac Voice by John Knight. Zodiac A to Z. Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com. Zodiac Killer Facts.com.